Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Some funny business and some serious business this week at the movies. Welcome in. This is the Screening Room Podcast. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com. And the Screening Room is sponsored by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. With a 70-foot-wide ultra screen featuring Dolby Atmos surround sound and Dream Lounger recliners. And by the way, we've got to give a shout-out to Alex, the GM at Marcus Crosswoods Theater. I joined Alex and our friend Dino Tripodis for the Whiskey Business Podcast. Did a little drinking this week. A little, little Oscar talking. That's what, uh, that's what Dino likes to do. Have a little bourbon, have some guests. And uh, yeah, we were talking about Oscars this week. So it's a great conversation. Uh, we talked about our picks, what things we, we thought maybe got snubbed, what do we expect on the show. So uh, check that out. It's Whiskey Business Podcast, wherever you check out podcasts like this one. And glad you're here because uh, we're not yet talking about uh, Oscars. It's not quite time for that yet. Got uh, at least, what, one more week to go? Mm-hmm. And this week at the movie theaters... Busy enough. There's one that we've been looking forward to for a while. I think a lot of people have been looking forward to, but strangely, it got caught in some sort of distribution problem, and we'll talk about that. But it's the latest from writer-director Alex Garland, the story of a biologist signing up for a dangerous secret expedition where the laws of nature do not apply. It's annihilation. Can you describe its form? No. It's something they termed the shimmer. We've sent in drones and teams of people, but nothing comes back. You're a biologist. You served in the military. If I knew what happened, I could save his life. The boundary's getting bigger. It's expanding. We're talking cities, states. You need to know what's inside. So do I. It's beautiful. It's destroying everything. It's not destroying. It's making something new. This is one we have been excited about for a long time because we love Alex Garland. Loved Ex Machina. Yeah, Ex Machina was his debut as a director. He also wrote it. Loved it, loved it. But also, if you go back years, he's written some great sci-fi. 28 Days Later. Sunshine. Remember yeah. that one? Yes. Uh, you, you reviewed that one and liked that one a lot. And then he... Did did the script as well for Ex Machina, and he did Never Let Me Go, right, which we both liked a Nebula, lot. Yeah, Never Let Me Go, which we like. So, yeah, he has been uh, a writer on the scene for a while, and then just last time with Ex Machina, really broke through as a director. And this one really shows that that was no fluke. Right. He really has a handle on this this genre. And Annihilation is not only sci-fi. There are some people I think that for them this could qualify as a horror mm-hmm. movie. Sure. I mean, there's there's it's blood. bloody. There's blood. There's some gore. And there's some scares, but I, I don't think, for me personally, I would go that far. I would keep it more of a sci-fi thriller. But it's based on the first of a trilogy of books called the Southern Reach Trilogy. Just just came out a few years ago by uh, an author named Jeff Vandermeer. So Garland adapts it, and he streamlines it because I've read that he wasn't really interested in this movie as the first of a trilogy. He right. approached this as a standalone right. film, and I think that shows. Now, I think that there definitely leaves room to maybe make more, but this one is is fine just as it is. I found it just gripping, fascinating from start to finish, just utterly fascinating in the story that it tells, how it tells it, the performances, and and the kind of movie it becomes because it sets up this mystery at the beginning, there's this area outside of the uh, on the coast of Louisiana with this lighthouse, and the remote land around it 
gets slowly enveloped by this aura, this, this life form that comes to be known as the shimmer. And over the course of about three years or so, it starts, this shimmer starts to spread and take over more and more land. And the authorities, the military, has been trying to study this area, this aura, and they've sent expeditions into it. And all they've got out of it was just missing persons. Mm-hmm. And one of those missing persons was a guy named Kane, played by Oscar, Oscar Isaac. Isaac from yeah. Ex Machina. Exactly. And uh, he's missing, gone for about a year and presumed dead when he suddenly just returns home to his wife, Lena, played by Natalie Portman. And he's only home for like an hour when he's stricken with a life-threatening illness. So uh, Lena, his wife, who is not only a biologist, a professor at Johns Hopkins, she's also had about seven years of Army training, so Mm -hmm. she has military in her background. She volunteers to be among the people into the shimmer to try to get some uh, answers. And and this particular team is an all-female team. Familiar faces, Jennifer Jason Lee mm. is in there. Uh, Gina Rodriguez, who's been on TV. She's got that show, Jane the Virgin. I don't know if it's still on. She, she, <laughs> we don't we know don't TV. TV. She's got some other things in there. Tessa Thompson. Love her. Always, exactly. And an actress named Tuva Nuvatni. Uh, so they go in, into, in, in the latest uh, team, in to try to get some answers. And, of course, we go in with them. And things start happening. As it says in the synopsis, the rules of nature don't apply. And we certainly don't want to give away anything about what happens in there. But that's when the mystery becomes a puzzle. You get certain answers that only beg more questions. Sure. Uh, you get wonderful, there are wonderful splashes of color. I mean, he makes this other world seem accessible. And that's what he's done really throughout his career. Agreed. Yes, absolutely. Not just in the in the, uh, the other film he has directed, but I think that you can see that in the films that uh, he's written. Uh, and, and the one I think that is the, uh, the closest in, in that would be Never Let Me Go, because while on the surface, it seems it's a it's a it's a film about clones and it seems like a very hard to reach topic. The, the way he grounds it in humanity makes the entire film so moving and really helps it stay with you. Yeah. And this one explores some of the same, really some of those same themes, but also some of the mainly some of the same themes that were all over Ex Machina. And they're even expanded in this. And it, it's it's not surprising, probably when he read this source material, that he thought, oh, this is perfect for me. Yeah, right. Because, you know, you got, uh, it's a focus on creation and self-destruction. There's a big theme of self-destruction running all through this movie. It's a, You cannot escape it. And then possible extinction mm-hmm. and and evolution mm-hmm. and nature and and things like that. Uh, yeah, honestly, in a, in a way, it it goes back to even twenty eight days later. Yeah, I mean, he he does yeah. just seem fascinated in different possible evolutions of the human race. Exactly, and this is really that's really the case here. It's probably the most existential that he's been mm-hmm. for sure. It's it's not going to please people who want everything wrapped up in a nice red bow. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are questions, but it's definitely satisfying, I think, uh, if you if you appreciate this type of psychological type filmmaking. I mean, it's it's not a total open ended. I mean, mm-hmm. you do you, you have to pay attention though. I mean, he drops little breadcrumbs along the way and kind of expects you to catch them. Sure, you know, yeah. There's there's no spoon feeding, and as you know, and, and we that's what we like. Exactly, you know? exactly. And he changes um, timelines. There's there's some flashbacks where then you and and some jumps ahead where you think, oh, okay, well then. If this is happening, then we know, then this happened when we go back to the past. So, right, right. okay, yes, you do know that, but then you don't know this. 
because that brings up other questions. So it's, it's just, I found it, the, the word I keep going back to for this movie is just fascinating. The entire thing is just fascinating. And I, I don't think it's really a spoiler to say that for me, it really brought up memories of 2001 by the end of it. Uh, mm-hmm. a, a bloodier 2001, <laughs> and, and not in a real literal sense, but kind of a cousin mm-hmm. to that mm-hmm. type of theme and that type of sci-fi thinking. And that is Annihilation, and I, I found it uh, incredibly gripping. And, and the performances, you know, Oscar Isaac, always solid. Everybody's solid. Mm-hmm. And Natalie, Natalie Portman. Portman. I thought she was just perfect for this because she has to convey, she conveys this, well, first of all, grief because she thinks her husband is dead this mm-hmm. whole time for about a year. But then it's a, like a desperate curiosity. She's in this because she feels she, she, she has to. And then once she meets up with the rest of her team members, she finds out they're all quote-unquote damaged goods for different reasons. And that comes into play. And does she then have enough to live for, to live through this? And I think she really perfectly sums up kind of our eyes and ears into this experience. And I thought she was just really, really solid. Uh, So big recommendation for Annihilation this week. But we did talk a little bit about, we mentioned the distribution. There was a problem where it's getting released here in the States, but is that it? The last I checked, it was not getting a theatrical distribution globally. It was going to be like direct to streaming globally after a theatrical release here. Now that could have been resolved at some point, but, but the whole thing, and also I feel like this film, this film didn't get a big marketing push. And, and I don't understand that because there are so many people who have been looking forward to it. Big name cast, big budget. And, and then the other thing though, you and I were talking about this ex machina. So it came out. It was the guy's uh, directorial debut. And while it did have Oscar Isaac, Donald Gleason, Alicia Vickender, who nobody knew who that was at the time, but she you know, great. a decent name cast. Mm-hmm. I don't think it got much of a push because it was Indy, A24, who always puts out the best films. Right. But when you saw it, it was such a little masterpiece of it a was. film. And it never got even like for your consideration screeners go out before Oscars, which and- made me so sad because... Because I wanted people to remember it. I wanted Oscar Isaac nominated. Yes, he, he definitely should have been nominated. And I thought I still think that's the best performance I've seen Alicia Vikander so, give. She's perfect. She's, she's perfect. fantastic in it. So, yeah, you're right. That one kind of got buried, It got left behind, but I, I expected yeah. this one not to. Because it because Ex Machina found its own audience, mm-hmm. you know, and that dance scene has become sort of iconic, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I thought, okay, well, that was his step off, and then this is going to be the one that goes, you know, big. But for some reason, it's just not getting the push. Yeah, I, I think you're right it's getting the the big release here in the states but because we also write reviews for the uk film review yeah and i noticed that when they shared our review they said it was coming out in the uk right on netflix mm-hmm. so that's that's it's too bad i mean yes however you see it see it right but i think we're very lucky especially the way it looks here in the states to uh, to get it on the big screen and i would definitely uh, recommend you checking it out that way if you can and that's annihilation so let's move from the existential to the comical a group of friends meet regularly for game nights, find themselves trying to solve a murder mystery. This is game night. Oh, boy. Mm. Someone in this room is going to be taken, and it's going to be up to you to find them. It's a murder mystery party. Whoever finds the victim wins the grand prize. You're not going to know what's real and what's fake. Wait a sec. You can't just come in here and break the door. Like- oh! It's not a joke. People are in real danger. Is this gun real? Oh, oh no, Andy. Oh, oh no, 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 no. Hey, no. <laughs> Blood! There's something really satisfying about this movie, right? It's not a classic. 
But because Jason Bateman's in it, that's part of it. George has a man crush on Jason <laughs> he's, Bateman. Everybody, he's just so and I always say this, and I apologize if I've already said this on the podcast, but I I always want to break my arm patting myself on the back because <laughs> I picked him out when he was a teenager, maybe even not a teenager. He was Ricky Schroeder's friend on Silver Spoon mm-hmm. back in the day. And I didn't watch that show regularly, but I saw it a couple times and thought, who is this kid? His comic <laughs> timing is spot on. Well, that is the thing. And and uh, and we both like it when he plays kind of a jerk. Yeah. You know, we yeah. do. But more often than not, he plays just the put upon hero in a film. <laughs> and he's perfect. And, he's and it's And it's and it's a great this is a great role for him. You know, uh, he plays Max. He's married to Annie, who is played by Rachel McAdams, who, for my money, doesn't get enough comical comedic opportunity because she is a great comic performer uh, and the two of them are a couple and they have game night and they're very very competitive and that's actually how they met they were on opposite teams in a game night years ago and and it's just funny and it's very cute and sweet and, and they're both likable they're they so likable so likable and so uh, they have a couple of other couples who come over once a week they have a next door neighbor played by Jesse Plemons. Plemons. <laughs> he's, just, he's got that look. He does. He's wrong. Something's wrong yes. with this guy. Yeah, and he um he's recently divorced. He used to go to game night when he and Debbie were married, but Debbie is out of the picture, and so they don't invite him to game night anymore. They just pretend they're not having it. And then Max's brother, played by Kyle Chandler, his good-looking, super cool oh, brother, yeah, he crashes. Yeah. <laughs> he's back in town for the first time in a year, and he crashes, and then he wants to host game night next week, but Max doesn't want him to because there's a bit of a sibling rivalry there. So that's kind of your setup. So when they go to uh, the cooler older brother's house, it's a mansion, and uh, he's got this great car, and you know everything is super cool, and he has he has hired a team to come in and they're going to do like a mystery kidnapping game night. This is going to be the greatest game night ever. And of course, things go crazy. They go awry. Are we in a game? Are we not in a game? We're (laughs) totally not in a game. Oh, wait, maybe we are in a game. You know, and, and it's very clever the way the story folds back in on itself several times. I mean, it's clever and it's fun, but that's not really... What makes the movie enjoyable? Uh, This script is incredibly tight. Every character gets a very realistic, individual set of dialogue that's funny and fun. And the the couples seem very realistic. Each couple has an opportunity to sort of be a couple, generate their own backstory. They feel very believable. And each one has their own personality and their own comic. And you got to give it up for the, the writer is Mark Perez. And check out this resume. He wrote The Country Bears. He wrote right, right. Herbie Fully Loaded, and he wrote Accepted. Um, the uh, the So that's the closest, yeah, yeah, right? The, the, closest, the college yeah. with Justin Long. Again, it's not something that you're going to remember 10 years out. It's, it's fun. It is funny, but it's not like uproariously funny. It, it's enjoyable. It's entirely enjoyable the whole time. There are so many just nerdy game references. I mean, the performances are so likable. And Jason Bateman characteristically, is just wonderful. I mean, the, his humor is spot on, as it always is, and he and Rachel McAdams make a great on-screen couple. Uh, I just, I don't think it's one that you're going to, 10 years from now, still be quoting, but I do think it's something that you'll enjoy while you're watching it. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of uh, the, the directors, uh, paradirectors, John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein. They're all, they're, they directed a few years ago the reboot of Vacation. Right. Which I think we thought was better than a lot of people did. It certainly wasn't a classic. No. But it offered a solid amount of steady laughs. Those, those kids were hilarious. The kids were a scream. But this is um this is much more likable. 
like universally likable yeah. than that film was. Yeah. Um, but it's also not nearly as zany. It's a little violent, actually. I mean, there are going to be a couple scenes where you're like, wow. Uh, but it's an R-rated comedy. It's only an R-rated comedy, really, because basically because Rachel McAdams periodically quotes movies, and the movies that she quotes are very foul-mouthed. <laughs> but she she's great. <laughs> yeah, so it's nothing that you're going to regard as a comedy classic, but while you're watching it, you're, you're probably going to have a good time. Absolutely. Not too many laughs in our next uh, film, a foreign film focusing on Katja, a German woman whose life collapses after the death of her husband and son in a bomb attack, and after a time of mourning and injustice, she seeks revenge. Diane Kruger in In the Fade. Es gab eine Explosion. Fahren Sie weiter. Mein Mann hat sein Büro gleich davon. This is one that really people were very surprised that this movie did not get Oscar nominated for yes. Best Foreign Language yes. Film because it. It swept up a lot and it got a lot of nominations at Cannes and Golden Globe nominations. I mean, people really expected to see this in the running. It won the Golden Globe. Mm. I know that sometimes the Golden Globe, you don't want to put a whole lot of stuff in there, <laughs> but it did. It won. Yeah, and you're right. Got a lot of attention at Cannes. And it is solid, and especially for the lead performance, Diane Kruger. And this is her, strangely enough, it's her first German language film. Which is interesting. So yeah. if, if people who remember her probably remember her for, for Inglorious Bastards, where right. she plays the German actress with a broken foot. And uh, yeah. she is German, so I, I was surprised that yeah. she, but she's mainly made American films. Yeah, even though there are scenes in this movie that are in English, the, the majority of it, it's definitely a foreign language film in German. She's fantastic. Uh, she's a German woman married to a Turkish man who spent some time in prison for dealing drugs, and he gets out rehabilitating himself. He has a business, he has an office, and she's on the way to meet a friend one morning and drops their young son off with uh, her husband at his office, only to find out later that they have both died in a what appears to be a targeted homemade bomb attack. And uh, then she has to search her memory for the recollection of this one random woman that she saw outside the office as she was leaving that morning. And then how those recollections help once this young neo-Nazi couple gets put on trial for the murders. And it's a, it's a film in three acts. The writer-director is Fatah Akin, who did a movie called The Cut, uh, in 2014. Then he did a, he, he got away from the political stuff and did a coming of age movie called Goodbye Berlin a couple of years ago. Now he's back on the socially conscious political ground with mo this movie because it definitely is anchored in a, a study of the toll of xenophobic hate. Yep. And I think there's a very telling piece of dialogue in this movie where kind of a very secondary character just says that, uh, they're no, they're quote, no longer people. Mm. And I don't want to say what he's referring to, but it's a very, in, inside the movie, it's a very universal bit of dialogue, I think, how people in their xenophobic hate can come to view other human souls as no longer people. Right. Just disposable and right. will blow them up with, with homemade bombs. So that is really the, the core of the movie. As I said, it is in three acts. It starts with the family, then it moves on to uh, justice as they're going through the trial, which I will say... American audiences, at least at least I did, I found the trial part very interesting because we're so used to we're so used to courtroom scenes in movies, but right. it's, it's not an American courtroom. courtroom. Exactly. And just how it's done in Germany. And, and I've got to say the guy who plays the defense attorney for this uh, neo-Nazi couple, that actor is great. You just hate this guy <laughs> and just the way he says everything and ends his little arguments with thank you every, every time. And uh, he's great. And so, yeah, those scenes are very 
very, very interesting to me um, as an American, as you said, just used to courtroom scenes in, in American movies. But then the only trouble I think this movie has is when it moves into the third act, which is called The Sea. That's when I think the promise of the first two acts, I, at least for me, I was expecting something maybe a little more profound. Right. A little more, a little newer, something newer to say. Fresher. Fresher, yeah. yeah. Maybe a fresher voice, a fresher perspective. Because once it, it got to its finale, I think it, it became something very familiar to audiences, any audience that has seen Hollywood thrillers. Right. It kind of... Copped out just a little bit. I don't want to say it ruined the movie for me because it didn't. You've still got that incredible performance for Diane Kruger, which right. I think is worth the price of admission just by itself. But it's still a very solid movie. I just don't think by the end it it capitalized completely on all the promise that it had for the first two thirds of it, and that is in the fade. Moving into what you can watch from your couch this week. You don't want to go out. I just don't want to go out. That's right. Well, it's rainy and crappy out. (laughs) I just want to sit on my couch, eat Doritos. There's some good stuff. There is a big, big movie coming out. There are also a couple of good, uh, fun horror flicks that you can see. And of course, we we love love those. those. And uh, and then there are some bad movies. So (laughs) start with (laughs) the one we is almost sure to entertain you. Thor Ragnarok. Bunch of cuties in that one. (laughs) And this one, I remember talking about this when it was new in the theaters. Very enjoyable, but it did, it just became, it's an outright comedy. It is. And I think that tone put off some people. Uh, it is very enjoyable while you watch it. When I when I start ticking off my favorite superhero movies, I'm not getting to this one for a while. No, but it's fun. It I mean, you're fun. going to, you know, and, and it looks great, and you're going to be singing uh, Led Zeppelin forever <laughs> yeah, after you see that's it. Right. So, that's right. So, yeah, I'd watch it again. Yeah, it's, but it's just not... It's you're not right. a classic, you're but right. it is fun. It is very fun. It's very enjoyable, but it's it's not a tone I particularly want a lot of superhero movies to have. No, I you think. know what's funny? You were saying uh, the, the word that kept coming to you in Annihilation. The word that kept coming to me in this screening was adorable. <laughs> it's just adorable. It's just cute and fun and funny, just like everything Taika Waititi, the right. director, makes. It's got that makes. New Zealand yeah, comedy. If you're familiar with uh, the, the Flight of the Concords yeah. or anything like that, it's got that incredibly cheeky and funny. I was yeah. laughing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I enjoyed it, but it's not Maybe, like I said, a tone that I want many more superhero movies to have. One that's a laugh riot, but you're going to feel bad about yourself, is Mom and Dad. (laughs) So this is uh, one of the last... One of the latest Nicolas Cage movies. I almost said this is the latest Nicolas Cage movie. He's probably made nine movies since then. Uh, and it's uh, and, and so often, almost always, you think, oh, I'm not watching a Nicolas Cage movie. Because they are, let's be honest, they mostly are terrible. But this is one of those where he's just unhinged, which is always a plus. And he's, his, his character is married to Selma Blair's character. And it just is a 24-hour period where, for no exactly explained reason, there are a lot of theories floated, no exactly explained reason, Parents feel compelled to murder their own children. They won't do damage to anybody else's children or to each other or to anybody else, but they are absolutely compelled to murder their own children. And it's uh, it's a dark Dark, comedy. It's a very dark comedy. But damn, if it's not funny. And he's all in. He's all in. All in he's all in. So if that's that's your bag. He's all. I brought you into this world. I can take you out. (laughs) So if crazy Nick Cage is your thing, there you go, mom and dad. That's right. There's another good horror film that's out this week called, though, called The Cured. Yes, yes. We like that one. That stars Ellen Page. I don't want to say it's a vampire movie or a zombie movie. It's one. It's an outbreak type of movie, right, right, a right. virus type of movie with a lot of social commentary. We talked about the social consciousness of 
in the Fay. This one has a lot of social commentary. You could apply it to a few different uh, social issues mm-hmm. of the time, mm-hmm. depending on how it hits you. But you know, it's another one where I think the first couple of acts are so well crafted that the final act, which is when it really truly becomes a horror film, feels too familiar. But on the whole, I liked it very much. I thought the performances were great, and and I thought it was a very clever sort of turn on the zombies type mm-hmm. yeah. film. Agreed. There are a couple that we're not going to recommend. <laughs> Daddy's Home 2. Pretty self-explanatory. Everybody's back. We've got new daddies, granddaddies this time. Mel Gibson is, of course, Mark Wahlberg character's uh, father. And then John Lithgow is Will Ferrell's father. And that casting, I like it. Not only that, again, the promise of that trailer was was not fulfilled. The pr- exactly right. It's so lazy. It's one of those where you're just stringing along a group of skits with no regard for logic or continuity. It's got a couple of set pieces that are funny. Fighting over the thermostat, the young people and the old people fighting over the thermostat. I'll give you that. I laugh. <laughs> and then they have a lot of fun at the very end with the song, Do They Know It's Christmas? Um, oh, yeah, just that's what I mean. <laughs> As so, you know, I love that song. Well, so does John Cena. <laughs> right. He says, I play that shit in August. <laughs> so I laughed at that. There are a couple of laughs, but uh, all in all, I just thought it was incredibly lazy and 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 very and just really ups the ante on that crisis of masculinity, which is so important. Yes. Uh, in in the movie, and I know that's the basis for it, but I, it was very disappointing. Uh, but not as disappointing <laughs> as same kind of different as me. I mean, this is one where hooray for white people. It is. That's it's a it's a breed of film. Hooray for white people, and this is one of those. And it's one what you you know this movie has been floating around forever. The first trailer came out to a collective groan. Yeah, I think. Yes. and then it was gone for so long that I started thinking, well, you know what? Maybe they got smart and just put it on the shelf. But they didn't. They just waited and waited. And it's based on a true story. And it's one of those movies where you look at it and you think. Okay, it's based on a true story. And one of the characters, the homeless man that the white couple befriends, he's listed in the book, the source book, as a co-author. As a co-author. So can't we have it through his eyes? We yes. cannot. No, we and, have to have it through the eyes of the wealthy white people right, who, take, who are being saved by saving him. Then take him, or good enough to take him to their country club, and then just shake their head at the racism with a voiceover that says, there are some things I just don't understand. Well, aren't you precious? Oh. There's some talent going on here. So Oscar nominee, Jumun Hunsu, Oscar nominee, Greg Kinnear, Oscar winner, Renee Zellweger. Renee Zellweger right. But, oh, my God, nobody can salvage this. Uh, next week, a couple of movies that could turn out to be guilty pleasures. Jennifer Lawrence in Red Sparrow and Bruce Willis in the remake of Death Wish. Eli Roth's remake of Death Wish. I like one of the guys involved in that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a big fan of Bruce Willis. I know a lot of his movies are not worth it, but uh, we'll see about this one. I think the tone is going to be important Mm -hmm. on this movie. Mm -hmm. And and I looking at Eli Roth has never once hit tone correctly. So the boy, that's true. (laughs) And I don't know what to think about about the Red Sparrow. I saw a different trailer this week that made me think maybe maybe there's something there. And I heard that it has all these twists and keep you guessing till the very end. So we'll see. Yeah, I got to say right off the top, before I've seen it, the the accents are throwing me. You've got one American who is doing a Russian accent, and then everybody else who's Russian is played by a Brit, and then the American is played by an Aussie who is doing an American accent. I'm baffled. <laughs> All right. We will talk about those next week. Until then, let us know what you thought about Annihilation, Game Night, or anything else uh, we talked about. Always glad to hear from you. Easiest way to do that is uh, through Twitter. You can find us at MadWolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also, on Facebook and Instagram, we're Mad Wolf Columbus. We invite you, if you are 
a horror fan to check out our other podcast, which is strictly about horror films, and it's called Fright Club. You can find that wherever you listen to podcasts or easily find it on our main website, where you can also find all of our written reviews, and that is at madwolf.com. And uh, until next week, the Screening Room Podcast is a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group and sponsored by Marcus Crosswoods Theaters. I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.